Welcome to Back from the Abyss, where we bring you stories of hope and healing, recovery and redemption. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock, your host and resident psychiatrist. Today we're doing a mini episode, why it's so hard to find or be a good therapist. If you're looking for a therapist to hear you, to support you emotionally or validate you, that's not so hard to find. Lots of therapists are good at what we call holding or creating a safe space for openness and trust, and that can be incredibly valuable and healing. However, if you're looking for a therapist who can help you pull out of the dark depths, someone who can catalyze meaningful change, that's a whole different beast, and here's why. Being a therapist who can catalyze change is really, really hard and basically requires that the therapist do at least five crucial and complicated and often simultaneous things as the session progresses. Therapist challenge number one. The reason we have anxiety, the purpose of anxiety, is to get us to do something, to act. Too little anxiety and we're passively accepting our present reality. Think weed or video games or alcohol or other numbing agents. Too much anxiety and we're paralyzed. Therapists have to continually decide, moment to moment, throughout every session, whether to sit with the client's anxiety level or to help them dial it down by soothing them or, most difficult of all, whether to dial up the anxiety to get the client to move towards change. What do I mean by dial up anxiety? A good therapist can recognize when a patient is too relaxed or avoidant or chit-chatty or finger-pointing all the blame, and the therapist will consciously decide to turn up the flame to make the client squirm a little with increased anxiety, but not too much anxiety or the client will shut down or flee. Many therapists simply avoid turning up the anxiety flame because it requires great skill and is potentially risky. But a therapist who won't turn up the heat is a therapist who cannot catalyze change. If your therapist hasn't ever made you feel some pangs of anxiety or discomfort, then change probably isn't coming your way. In my mind, it's the same as going to a trainer at the gym. If you're looking for connection, support, or validation, a trainer can give you these. However, if you want to actually change your body and get strong, you're going to need to sweat. And a trainer who doesn't push you to be uncomfortable isn't going to catalyze meaningful change. Therapist challenge number two, which therapeutic framework to use? There are many types or schools of psychotherapy. You can think of them as different tools in the therapist's toolbox. And a good therapist has at least two or three different types of wrenches to pull out of the therapeutic toolbox, depending on the challenges at hand. Some therapists put all their stock in one tool, believing that most everything can be addressed with cognitive behavioral therapy or with DBT or with EMDR, much like some mistaken psychiatrists put all their stock in the tool of medication. A good therapist should be trying out their two or three or four different therapeutic wrenches to see which might fit the problem, but this is much easier said than done. Too often, we therapists want to make the client or patient fit our tool versus making the tool fit the patient. Also, beware of the therapist who says their style is eclectic. This can be shorthand for, I have a whole bunch of tools that I sort of know how to use, and I just kind of grab one and see what happens. Therapist challenge number three. Therapists need to be continually self-monitoring ourselves each session, asking, why am I feeling what I'm feeling, for example? Why am I getting so irritated right now? Is my blood sugar low? Is this client reminding me of my ex? Am I working too hard? Maybe this client has a personality disorder. Wait, did I forget to take my Zoloft? Am I truly present here? 
maybe I have to pee. And the list of potential causes goes on and on as the client keeps talking and talking and somehow the therapist has to self-monitor and problem solve while also staying with the client's words. Therapist challenge number four. Therapists need to not only listen carefully to what the client is saying, we need to be asking ourselves, what is the client not saying? What is the client avoiding? Because often the most important part of a therapy session is what is not said. I once saw a patient for years, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many years, years before I finally realized that he never talked about his mother. It turns out that this was the most painful and important trauma of all. That's why he never brought it up. And I never really asked. Whoops. Ouch. At the same time that the therapist is contemplating what is not being said, the therapist also needs to monitor whether the client's affect, behaviors, and even physical appearance are consistent with the client's words. A client's appearance, style of dress, eye contact, interpersonal style, these often reveal far more than their stories. A smiling client or patient who describes how hopeless he is, a client with poor eye contact and vague two to four word answers who says everything's fine, these should set off major alarms for the therapist. Therapist challenge number five. Therapists should be maintaining the continuity of therapy, building on what arose in prior sessions, checking in about possible past empathic failures. That's where the client felt unheard or unvalidated, for example. And then working to repair these wounds, while also regularly checking in about goals and treatment efficacy, and realizing that a client's stated problems and or goals may not in fact be their actual problems and or goals, or they might actually be. I once saw a patient who came to me saying he wanted help with how to clean out his garage. I thought there's no way that someone would come to a psychiatrist for garage cleaning advice. Over the next few sessions, I probed for hoarding behaviors, substance abuse, or maybe ADD, or even a marital issue. He then missed an appointment, and I called him to see what was up. I'm not coming back. You didn't listen to me, he said. What do you mean? I asked. I wanted help with the garage. You didn't give me any help at all. So what's the take-home message here? Being an effective change agent therapist is very challenging and requires many years of training and practice. I feel like I wasn't a consistently effective therapist till at least 10 years after I finished my psychiatry residency and had seen hundreds and hundreds of patients and made lots and lots of mistakes and started working through my own shit. If you aren't making progress with your therapist, maybe you aren't working with a change agent, or maybe you aren't ready to sweat. Some advice to you. It's probably worth walking through your personal hot coals, squirming and suffering a little bit to move towards meaningful change. And I so hope that you can find a most excellent therapist to help you get there. If you like this episode, please share it with anyone else who might find hope or meaning in this story. Check out our website, bftapodcast.com, where you can learn more about us and this project, get more information on the treatments mentioned in the stories, as well as additional resources and music credits. You can also email us with comments or story requests. If you have time, please rate us on iTunes as this helps us spread these stories far and wide. Much gratitude to my good friend Chris Johnson, who does our sound, and thank you for listening to Back from the Abyss. May each of you find the strength and support to find your way through the darkness. <laughs>